For those of you who had the term big dog on your bingo card for worship sayings this morning, congratulations. (laughs) Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, beginning with verse 27. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village, villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the words spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. Follow me. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, then come, follow me. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Whoever serves me must follow me. If any wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. It does not take very long when we read any of the Gospels to understand that Jesus has this thing about people following him. Not idolizing him or worshiping him, not even voting for him or promoting him or speaking well of him, just following him. And the old, and the old question, who is willing to follow Jesus Christ, is pretty much the defining question of our Christian faith, right? But what does it even mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus in your life and in these times? Does it mean emptying out your refrigerator, going to Market Square, and handing out all the food? Does it mean saving up and building up and storing up in the name of wise stewardship? Does it mean cutting back on household expenses or going shopping to infuse money into the economy that will eventually create jobs and stabilize the fluctuating global markets? Does it mean quitting your job so you can spend more time with your family or working harder so you can provide for them? 
Does it mean trying to, to tell others about the good news that you've found in Christ? Or does it mean being open and tolerant of their beliefs? Does it mean asking, what would Jesus do? What does it mean to follow Jesus in your life and in these times? Those are exactly the questions that come up in today's reading from Mark's gospel. Who do people say that I am? Jesus asks, and the disciples have a litany of ready answers. Some say, Elijah, I heard somebody say that you were John the Baptist. Yesterday, a lady thought you were Jeremiah or one of the other prophets come back from the dead. Everyone has an answer. They're like the kid in the third grade classroom blurting out, ooh, ooh, call me. I know, I know, call on me. It's easy to say what everyone else thinks. He says, she says, they say, but what about you, Jesus asks? Who do you say that I am? And suddenly things get very, very quiet. Who do you say that I am? That's the question, isn't it? That's the question we have to answer with our lips and with our lives. All of us at some point are called to stand up and make some sort of public pronouncement. Maybe you stood once with a bunch of other scouts and said, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country. Lots of times we've put our hands over our hearts and said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Maybe you've even had to put your hand on a Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. Maybe you stood before a crowd of witnesses someplace and said, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. There's something about a public statement like that that makes it a commitment. I'm saying something publicly, and the way I live my life from now on is going to be different because of it. I'm going to tell the truth or be faithful to my marriage or do my duty. And the fact that I've said it publicly cements it. My words mean something. I'll do what I say. I'll walk the walk. I'll live my life based on what my lips profess. Or at least I'll give my best trying. Who do you say that I am? It's essentially what we asked our new elders and deacons a few weeks ago. Or Virginia and Mark Stormer last week when little Johnny was baptized. And we're going to be asking our confirmation students in just a few weeks. It's what we ask new members when they join the church. Do you profess your own faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? But it's a question we all must answer at one point or another. And when we answer that question, the way we live our lives is supposed to back up the answer. So you have to wonder, why then, when Peter finally gets it right, when he finally is able to come up with the right words, when he finally says, you are the Messiah, why in the world would Jesus, as Mark tells us, sternly order them not to tell anyone about him? New Testament scholars call this the messianic secret. 
Jesus' command to his followers to not tell others that he's the Messiah. You see it throughout the Gospels, but most prominently, we see it here in the Gospel of Mark. It comes as a surprise, doesn't it? You'd think that once the disciples got it, once they understood who Jesus was, he'd immediately send them out to let everyone else know too. It's strange that he doesn't. And scholars have come up with all kinds of literary and historical and theological attempts to explain this messianic secret. My own hunch is that it's far less complex. I think Jesus recognizes that you can know something without really understanding it. Sometimes you have to let the truth just kind of soak in. You have to live into it before you can really, really get it. There are some things that you understand in your head long before you ever begin to understand them in your heart, in your soul, and throughout your life. It's good advice when you think about it because what Jesus is offering his followers, including us, is not, so to speak, a bed of roses. It's probably not for Peter and the disciples and for us. It's probably not exactly what they think they're signing up for. Most of us choose a religion or a faith because it does something good for us. We're expecting comfort and peace and reassurance. But Jesus says that if we're going to follow him, we're going to follow him all the way to the cross through suffering and rejection and even death. You might want to think that through, he says. You'd better be sure you're willing to take that on because there's no doubt that that's where he's headed. Do you really want to choose suffering if there are any other options available? This is where we suddenly have to get very honest about the Christian life. Christianity is not about solving problems and making life easier. If anything, following Jesus is going to complicate your life, unmistakably so. Elton Trueblood was a 20th century Quaker theologian. He was the chaplain at Harvard and then at Stanford. In many ways, Trueblood wrote, the gospel, instead of taking away people's burdens, actually adds to them. He was apparently fond of telling the story of John Woolman, a successful Quaker merchant in the 18th century. Woolman was affluent and happy and lived a wonderfully nice life until one day God convicted him about being a slaveholder. After that, John Woolman gave up his prosperous business. He used his money to purchase slaves' freedom. He traveled on foot because slaves were not permitted to ride in carriages. He even started wearing suits made of undyed cloth because the dye used in fabrics was produced by slave labor. Largely because of Woolman, by 1787, not a single American Quaker owned a slave. Trueblood says, Occasionally, we talk of our Christianity as something that solves problems, and there is a sense in which it does. Long before it does so, however, it increases both the number and the intensity of our problems. Maybe that's why Jesus had to say these words so many times. 
For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who want to lose their life, those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Jesus repeated those words more than anything else he ever said. More than love one another. More than turn the other cheek. More than blessed are the poor. Those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. It runs so opposite to what we want to believe. So Jesus has to repeat it again and again and again a number of times to get it into our thick heads and into our comfort-seeking hearts. Who do you say that I am? That's the question. That's the question we have to answer not only with our lips, but more importantly, we have to answer it with our lives. Take up the cross and follow me. Back in Jesus' time, the road to Jerusalem was often lined with crosses. They didn't have a religious meaning at that point because, frankly, Jesus hadn't died on one yet. But the Roman government staged public executions on crosses just so they could frighten everyone who saw them. Crucifixion was a very effective form of intimidation. Whatever you do, the message was, whatever you do, you don't want to end up like this. But by telling his disciples to pick up their crosses, Jesus suggests something altogether different. Jesus suggests that maybe worse than death was living a half a life, living a life in fear, living life with no direction or purpose beyond your own narrow horizons. Maybe worse than dying is never truly living at all. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.
read and proclaim. Let's now gather our hearts and minds for prayer. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, as we come to you in prayer on this second Sunday of Lent, we do so knowing that you hear us and that you know us, that you love us, and that you will respond to us. Like the words of the prophet Isaiah, when we cry for help, you say in a myriad of ways, with, you respond with, here I am. As we make our prayers this morning, remind us of this truth that whatever is on our hearts, the joys, the deep pains, all can be spoken and all will be heard. And may we in your providence be open to the ways that we ourselves might be and become an answered prayer for the cry of our sibling, opening our hearts and minds to the possibility that our presence and skills and gifts might bear witness to the here I am that you promise when we cry out. This morning we come to you as a faith community seeking to follow you, to take on our cross, and follow you wherever you lead. During our 40 days of penitence and discipline and contemplation and fasting, we seek to better know you, to more deeply love you, and more faithfully follow you. May our Lenten season help us to explore the life-altering possibilities of knowing you as Lord and Messiah. We thank you for the ways that you continue to bless our church community here at First Presbyterian with the means to hear and the hearts willing to respond when we hear cries in our community. We thank you for all of those who are gathered with churches from around the city to address real issues that make our neighbors cry through the ministry of Justice Knox. We thank you for Family Promise and the leaders and volunteers here at First who have given their time and energy to those who are unhoused, that they may find warmth and safety and hope. We thank you for the work of this church and international mission and the ways that our hearts can connect with people around the globe. We thank you for helping us to hear and giving us direction to respond. We ask that you help us to hear the cries that we might not readily recognize, but that are heard by you. We ask to be more aware of the concerns of children and youth who live in and are shaped by a world that is rapidly changing and is often a theater, political spectacle, amidst issues and pressure to be perfect. May we hear and recognize their voice and welcome their perspective. We ask to hear the cries of those who are sick in body or in spirit, those on our prayer lists and those who are struggling with other and maybe harder to recognize forms of illness. Help us to hear their needs and be willing to respond in ways that bring healing and your presence of love and care. We ask to hear the cries of those who are grieving, those grieves of loss of people close to our hearts, those who grieve empty homes or empty bedrooms, those who grieve dreams that have slipped away. May we hear their cries and be present with them, embodying your promised presence and care. We pray for our world and for an end to conflict and war for those who are fighting and those who have died in the Israel and Hamas conflict and, the, and for the people of the Ukraine and Sudan. We pray for our planet and ask that we hear her cries and remember our great responsibility to be stewards of all that you have made. We pray this knowing that you hear and ask that our faith in you might help us to better respond to the pain and, and the cries that we hear in the world. May we all say, here I am. 
And now with the boldness of the children of God, we pray the prayer that Jesus himself taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, God calls us to live grateful lives of generosity. So let us praise the giver of all things through the gifts of our tithes and offerings today. <laughs> 